Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, well, as we move from uh, one book uh, and author to another on a very different topic, though, but this book's getting a lot of attention. Uh, in fact, and we'll find out more, I understand uh, there may even be a, a movie in the works here, but um, there's certainly, you know, the, there's a lot of attention around wolves and uh, the, the issues wolves face and how to protect their habitat and how to, to balance all kinds of different considerations. Uh, and, and certainly there's been a lot of debate around wolves in the U.S. and in particular decision uh, going back a couple of decades to try to reestablish wolves in Yellowstone Park. And I believe they brought wolves from, from Canada, even from Alberta in particular, uh, to Yellowstone for that express purpose. One of them became almost kind of a, a celebrity, uh, a female wolf by the name of 06, or was given the number 06. That basically became how she was referred to. Uh, and her own story is, is quite riveting. And it, one, it is one that has, um, well, a tragic end, as, as some would describe it, not others necessarily. Uh, this is all the subject of a new book. It's called The Wolf, A True Story of Survival and Obsession in the West. Uh, joining us on the line is the uh, author of this book, Nate Blakesley. Nate, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. All right, well, let's get a bit of the background here. Now, people may be familiar with the story of this wolf because we're talking about a pretty famous wolf. But uh, just so people understand kind of the setup to the story, it's been over the past couple of decades they've been trying to bring wolves back to, to Yellowstone Park, correct? Yeah, they brought them back in the mid-'90s after they'd been gone for almost 70 years, all hunted out uh, by trappers and, and livestock uh, ranchers, as they had been in, uh, among most of the lower 48. Um, the idea was to try to restore Yellowstone's ecosystem. It was badly out of balance. There were far too many elk in the park. Uh, and the idea was that bringing wolves back was sort of a, a holistic way to do that. And they have been they were bringing them down from Canada then? Yeah, they, they, they trapped them alive in Alberta, and then they brought them down by truck and plane. It was an unbelievably ambitious plan. No one had ever really tried anything like it. Uh, they weren't sure if it would work, um, but it did. It was immensely successful. They started with 30 wolves in Yellowstone in 95 and 96. The park population of wolves immediately ballooned up to 175. And then, as was part of the plan, they started spreading beyond the park and throughout the northern Rockies. And today they have repopulated much of their former range in the northern Rockies. You know, it's interesting. Cause there's a lot of debate and, and conversation up here then about, you know, how to protect these animals, the future of these animals, and, and trying to balance all of this. And, and obviously, I think, your you know, your book speaks to a lot of those issues. Why, in your view, is this such an important animal? Well, you can just look at what happened in Yellowstone when they were gone. Uh, the elk population exploded. The habitat started to degrade. The rangers there were forced to begin shooting elk themselves, basically replacing elk with rifles, um, and continued to do that right up through the 1960s. Um, but wolves were once the most widely distributed land mammal on the planet. That drama that happened in Yellowstone um, happened throughout the northern hemisphere. You know, as soon as people 
started keeping livestock, which which is to say as, as long as recorded history has been around, they have feared and fought against wolves mainly to protect their own livelihood. And so one way of looking at the history of the, of the northern hemisphere over the last 500 or 1,000 years is of this battle between these two dominant species to see which one would come out on top. And, of course, uh, we know the answer to that. Right. So this book, it's an interesting way of telling the story because it's not necessarily a book about wolves per se, which it is, but it, it's a story about one in particular and, and one female who became uh, very iconic, 06, as she was known. Uh, so what got you interested in this story? Well, it's a strange thing to think about a wild animal being a celebrity, but yeah. it's kind of an it's an unusual situation there in Yellowstone. Yellowstone is the one place in the world where you can reliably spot wolves from the roadside with a spotting scope. You know, these, these wildlife-watching telescopes are very powerful. And you can watch them from a mile, two, even three miles away. Um, and what that allowed you to do was to get to know, in a way that had never been done before, individual packs, individual wolves. You could learn a wolf's lineage, a wolf's history, a wolf's personality. Um, and, of course, thousands, hundreds of thousands of visitors saw 06 because she was the most visible wolf in the park. She lived in this part of the park that was popular with watchers. But in addition to those sort of casual visitors, you also had this small group of diehard wolf aficionados who would come to the park every day, track the wolves, get them in their scopes, and then watch them for hours. And two of them in particular would take notes. This woman named Lori Lyman, a retired school teacher from San Diego, and this man named Rick McIntyre, who's sort of the park's guru. He's, he works for the park service. And they had taken years worth of notes about this pack. And when Lori gave me this sort of treasure trove, and I read it, and it was like reading the diary of a wolf pack. And I realized you could use that material to create a nonfiction book that read like a novel in which the main characters were wolves. So uh, 06 was uh, a second-generation Yellowstone wolf? She's actually third, third generation, yeah. That's one of the great things about hanging out with Rick. You know, he'll, he'll get a wolf in his scope, and he'll be able to tell you that wolf's lineage. He, he's got right. it all in his head. He's this amazing sort of font of wolf folklore. So who's responsible for, you know, assigning these numbers and, and keeping track of these animals? There's a small group of biologists. It's called the Wolf Project. Um, they're the ones that brought the wolves back to Yellowstone. They work for the federal government, for the Park Service, uh, and they're the ones that keep the program running. It's really not a very big group of people, but uh, every once a year they will dart wolves from a helicopter and they will fit them with radio collars, which helps them track them, or GPS collars, in, in which case you can track from your desk. Um, and they, they have kept the program going all these years. And her own offspring, and I guess that's that's part of 06's story, isn't it? Uh, her her own pups. Yeah, the uh, the place that she chose for her first den was just sort of serendipitously perfectly visible from this roadside knoll, and people would come and set up their scopes, and as soon as they realized that she was going to have these pups in this den that was visible from the roadside, she became like the star attraction of Yellowstone. She became something that guides would bring their clients to see she became an attraction like old faithful or lower falls if you've ever been to yellowstone places that tourists just absolutely have to stop on their visit you describe her as a, a doting mother yeah that was one of the things that was a revelation to me about about wolves you know we we, we think of them as these super predators and they are truly amazing predators you know they're they're the animals that have sort of sculpted the prey species we see in north america they're the reason that elk are so fast and deer are so nimble and bighorns can go straight up the side of a mountain. You know, 
predation by wolves caused all those traits to be selected for over the thousands of years that they, they coexisted. Yeah. But they're also very tender, very they, – they, you know, empathy is, is, is another trait that has been selected for among wolves over the years simply because they do everything as a group. They, they unlike a mountain lion or a grizzly that will spend most of their time alone – and it doesn't really matter whether they can get along with other members of their own species. Wolves will hunt collectively. They'll raise pups collectively. They defend the den collectively. They're territorial. They're tribal, you know, kind of like people are. And so it became necessary, those wolves that could get along well, that could understand sort of the emotions of other pack members and respond accordingly, those wolves thrived. And the ones that didn't, didn't. Now, this is also a story about about hunters, and I don't know that it's necessarily meant to be an attack on hunting per se, but it's obviously part of this story and part of what, what happened with this particular wolf. Uh, what is the interest then uh, with these wolves as it pertains to, to hunters? Well, bringing the wolves back to Yellowstone was controversial. That's the reason it took so long to get it done. Um, it was controversial for two reasons. One, because of the ranching business there. You know, ranchers knew they would lose stock, but also because, as you say, of the elk hunting business. Elk hunting is big business in the northern Rockies. Whether you're a guide who can charge thousands of dollars for an out-of-town hunter to come and get an elk, or whether you run a motel or restaurant that caters to these hundreds or thousands of, of hunters that come from all over the country to hunt elk in the northern Rockies. And they knew that wolves eat a lot of elk, and they knew if wolves were bought back and reached anything approaching their former population levels, that the elk numbers would go down. Um, and we have seen that in certain areas. But keep in mind, reducing that northern Yellowstone elk, elk herd was one of the public policy goals of bringing wolves back. Now, if you lived in an area adjacent to the park and you were an elk hunter or a guide, you did not share that policy goal because to you there was just the right number of elk in the park. Because all those elk in the park, as your your listeners may know, they summer in the park, but in the winter they come down out of those high snowy valleys and they come down into the lower areas around to look for forage. And that's what provides that outstanding elk hunting in that area. Now, were these wolves supposed to be off limits to hunters? Well, any wolf that's inside the national park is off limits. But, and of course, when they were brought back, they were on the endangered species list, which means it was against the law to shoot them. But the idea was once they became sufficiently reestablished, they would be taken off the list. And then it would be up to those state game departments to manage them, which would mean the hunting season. Uh, now, the debate, which went on for many years, was whether how many wolves is enough. How established do they have to be before we can allow hunting and trapping again? Finally, uh, in 2009, they came off the list in part of that range in Idaho and Montana. And then in 2012, they came off the list in Wyoming. And so now we see hunting and trapping in all three states of the northern Rockies. All right. Well, and I guess it's a bit of a spoiler, uh, but I think people who, who know the story know what happened here. So, uh, 06, uh, did, now she did get out of the park then at one point. Is that what happened? Yes. All of the, of course, there's no fence around Yellowstone. Yellowstone is immense, but wolves can routinely travel 20 miles in a day. They've been known to travel 40 miles in a day. All the packs in the park will leave at some point the park's boundaries, which means that they are fair game for hunters. And during that first legal hunting season in Wyoming, who could have foreseen that one of the first animals shot would be the most famous wolf in the park, arguably the most famous wild animal in the United States or in the world. Um, and it was, it was 06. She left the park briefly. She left out 
Uh, the eastern boundary went down into Wyoming in this area known as Crandall, very popular elk hunting area, and she was shot uh, by a hunter there. And that was quite a debate, right? I mean, obviously, the, you know, the hunter was targeting this animal. He's, he's, um, he certainly sees that as, as a prize on his part to others. Um, you know, it was, it was the loss uh, of an animal that uh, they were quite fond of. People were, were mourning the loss and the death of this wolf. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, the backlash was just enormous. I mean, you know, she, the, the New York Times ran an obituary the next day, uh, and, and the news just went around the world, and it reignited this debate over whether or not it was good public policy to hunt wolves. Now, the man that shot her, his name was never in the papers. He wisely kept it out because he was afraid of the backlash. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you an idea of how sensitive this issue is, it's against the law for a, a state official in Wyoming to reveal the name of a person who shot a wolf for just this very reason. But I found him, and I offered him the chance to participate in the book, to be interviewed. Uh, his only stipulation was that his name not be used. So he is a character in the book. Um, I knew that people would, once they heard about what had happened, they would ask themselves, you know, who could do such a thing? And there's no way to answer that question without finding the person that did it and asking him. And so that's what I did. And those interviews with him, you know, in his cabin in the woods uh, were fascinating and mm-hmm. eye-opening for me. And it was important to me to have that perspective in there from the, you know, the other side. Obviously, I spent a lot of time with the Wolf Watchers in order to gain the material I needed to to write this book, but I wanted to have the other side represented too. And so I was glad that he agreed to participate. Yeah. Well, and what do you hope people get from this book then? Well, uh, I, you know, I imagine that what was an eye opener for me will be for them too. And that's several things. One is just how politicized the science of wildlife management is. You know, we think of it as, we think of sort of wilderness as the opposite of civilization. There's, there's the world we've created for ourselves and then there's the natural world. But in a place like the American West, or I imagine in many places near where your listeners live, uh, that, that has been so thoroughly exploited for resources since the 19th century, timber and oil and coal and, and fur, wilderness is something that has to be created or recreated by people. And so it becomes this politicized process. There's going to be winners. There's going to be losers. Not everyone agrees on what, what goes in and what and what stays out. And so it, getting a, shining a light on that process was a goal for the book, and it was a revelation for me. Now, the book is just out, but uh, as I understand, there are already plans to uh, do a film around this? Yeah, it was optioned for a film. It was optioned by the uh, the actor Leonardo DiCaprio. He's Yeah, we've all heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your listeners know who he is. Uh, they probably know that he's he's an environmentalist and yeah. interested in, he's interested in wildlife issues, and I think, I think that's what attracted him to the book. All right. Well, it's uh, certainly a fascinating book, and uh, congratulations on it, Nate. It's called The Wolf, A True Story of Survival and Obsession in the West. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us here. Really appreciate that. Thank you. I enjoyed it. There you go. Nate Blakesley. The book is called The Wolf, although interestingly enough, it's called American Wolf in the U.S. So, yeah, the guy who starred in The Wolf of Wall Street is apparently going to make a movie of American Wolf. Very, very different kind of movie. Anyway, 974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.